Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 162 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous, the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's start with a review part of the show. Um, I'm going to start in a place called the Sophia Hotel in Thailand. Now, this bill was very much a last-minute bill, from my understanding. Um, the cheeky little man, the very, very cheeky little rascal, Cheyafon Moonstreet, the man with a record of 51-0, and 0, he took on a guy at late notice called Mectison Marganti, who had a record of 2-9 and nine with one draw. A horrendous mismatch on paper. It ended up being a unanimous decision over six rounds in favour of Cheyafon Moonstreet. He's now 52-0. and 0. Floyd Mayweather, boy, oh boy, you need to get back in that gym <laughs> to uh, to catch the record of Chair for Moon Tree. That's it from Thailand. Moving out now to the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma, USA. Let's start here with the undercard. We had Cletus Seldin, 21 and 1. He got in there against Nelson Lara, who had a record of 17 and 10 with four draws. One thing about Seldin is he can really bang, and he showed it here. A first round knockout for Cletus Seldin. What a way to, to, to end the year there for him. Um, also, we had Igis Kavalowskis, um, his record 20 and 0. He took on Roberto Ariaza. Ariaza was 17-0, undefeated. Um, it was a KO in the third round for Kavalowskis. He also defended successfully his NABF welterweight title. And I also think it was the WBO Intercontinental title as well. I think he had both belts. He defended, like I say, successfully there with a third round knockout. Another knockout for him. And moving up the card, we had Maurice Hooker, 24-0 and with three draws. This one was actually shown on Box Nation. He took on Alex Sulcedo, 28-0. and Now, Sulcedo was a big favorite going in, despite being the challenger here. Like I say, it was for the WBO um, World Super Lightweight title. Maurice Hooker remained undefeated with a seventh-round TKO. What a fight this one was. I mean, the first round, straight away, it was completely action-packed. I'd even give the first round to Sulcedo. Now, in the second round, Hooker seemed to just get countered with this straight right hand while he was coming in, and the shot wasn't really a big one, and Hooker didn't appear shaken at all, um, but but he did get dropped, and like I say, when he got back up, he didn't really seem that shaken. He actually came alive in the late part of the round, though. I mean, he was... He, he was going after Salcedo. He responded like a champion, but it was certainly a 10-8 round for Salcedo. Good action, though, after just two rounds. So I had it 20-17 to 17 with that knockdown after two. Going into the third round, I mean, the third round was a great round for Hooker, actually. He started to finally work the jab consistently. Salcedo was unable to really get past the jab and ended up not landing much or even throwing much, even. It was a clear, clear round for Hooker. So a great response from him once again. In the fourth round, it was a very competitive round. Maurice Hooker started off great, but Salcedo came back into it. I would probably edge that round to Hooker or even perhaps score it even. 
The fifth round was actually arguably a 10-8 round until the last five seconds. I mean, Hooker was laying on the ropes. His defense was leaky. He looked all over the place, and he was allowing Salcedo to just tee off on him. And Salcedo was switching up from head to body. Hooker seemed like he thought he was comfortable, but he really didn't look comfortable, and the judges would have seen that. I think the tactics were quite silly and quite stupid. And like I say, in the last five seconds from nowhere, Hooker just bounced off the ropes, and he landed a massive combination from head to body that visibly hurt Salcedo and Hooker went back to his corner like everything was under control even though he certainly lost the round obviously not a 10-8 but it was so much of a one-sided round until those last five or six seconds now in the sixth round Hooker seemed like he had listened to his corner um, you know they said to him stay off the ropes start getting behind the jab he did that and he was moving he was hitting and moving he was boxing and moving and Salcedo's left eye actually was cut in that sixth round now in the seventh and final round here um, Hooker decided he was going to just go straight on the attack and as soon as he came out from his you know from, from his corner at the start of the round he went straight on the attack and Salcedo ended up being hit by a big right hand from Hooker now Salcedo's knees dipped badly but he didn't actually fall on the ground he sprung back up and bounced into the ropes um he would have gone down, so the referee did give him a count. Um, he looked completely done to me, and he, you know, he carried on. He tried to carry on, and Hooker just swarmed him. And it was reminiscent to the way Deontay Wilder tries to swarm a fighter and tries to finish the fight. He went quite reckless, and he did force a stoppage in the end. And Salcedo was simply being hit too often, so I could not argue with that stoppage at all. He couldn't defend himself at all. And yeah, for me, it was a fair stoppage. But um, yeah, I think everyone should kind of get off Hooker's back a little bit because. Everyone kind of said he was overrated when he took on Flanagan. Flanagan didn't have a great night, so everyone kind of took away the victory from Hooker. Obviously, he got the belt that night against Flanagan. He took his O, and then he got in. You know, he got in against another undefeated fighter now, so that's two on the trot. And this time against Salcedo, he managed to stop him. Not only take his O, but stop him. And he was the underdog, if I'm not mistaken, in both fights. So credit to Hooker. Everyone get off his back. He's a good fighter. Uh, moving out now to Germany. Let's talk about this one here. Topping the bill at the EWS Arena in Baden-Württemberg. Firat Arslan, 47 years of age now. Could even be 48. I keep saying that. He's fought so many times recently. I'm sure he's had a birthday or two in that space of time. Um, his record 44-8 and eight with two draws. He fought for the, um, for the GBU World Cruiserweight title. Oh, God. And the WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight strap. Both belts belong to him, actually. So he was defending those. He took on Sefer Seferi, a man that we've seen share a ring with Tyson Fury on the comeback. Um, Sefer Seferi actually fought Arslan to a majority draw over 12 rounds. So, um, I mean, a lot of people said that Seferi was absolutely awful. I think he was a lot better than people gave him credit for. And like I say, Arslan, who's certainly seen better days, the judges seem to not really do him a favor on the cards there. I think it was quite a close fought fight. So a deserved draw there. But um, I didn't see any of it, I must say. But from what I've heard, it was quite competitive. And Arslan's a very good fighter at 47 years of age. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but at this point in his career, he's still pretty decent. And like I say, Sefer Seferi um, had a very close fight with him there. So no, not too much to really pluck from that whole situation. Moving out now to another part of Germany. We're going to talk about the undercard first here. This one took place at the Anhalt Arena in Saxon-Anhalt. Um, we had, we had, we had heavyweight prospect Tom Schwartz. He moved to 23-0. 
um, a knockout in, sorry, a TKO in the sixth round against Christian Lewandowski, whose record is now 12 and 3. And the main, of, in fact, I'm going to mention a little, a little fight here. Actually, a women's fight. There was a, there was a girl on the bill called Lucy Sedlakova who had a record of 11-0, and undefeated with one draw. She fought for the vacant EBU European female featherweight title against Nina Minka, a uh, former opponent of Katie Taylor. Um, I remember Katie Taylor bashing her up badly. Well, Minka actually pulled off the upset here. She took Lucy Sedlakova's O, and she's now the new EBU European female featherweight champion. So all the very best to Nina Minka there. A 10th round unanimous decision, but the main event over here, Robin Krasnichi, 40 eight and five he successfully defended his ebu european super middleweight title against ronnie ladata who had a record of 16 and 0 so his o has been taken ladata was down in the first round and he had a point deducted um in the fourth round for hitting krasnichi on the back of his head so a 12 round unanimous decision there for krasnichi uh, moving out now to spain one fight to mention over here commiserations for frankie gavin fans he stepped in the ring against kerman leharaga leharaga moves to 27 and 0 a ko in the fourth round a brutal body shot um, was delivered to frankie gavin's midsection and Frankie Gavin stayed down way after the, the count of 10 was reached. His record now 26-4, and four, a friend of the show. Obviously, Gavin came in um, four and a quarter pounds over the weight, um, the weight limit, which was, I mean, there's no real way of explaining it, to be honest. There's, you know, as much as you like Frankie Gavin, there's not much you can say. That's quite inexcusable. Um, many people think he should actually be, be fighting at 140, and, um, you know, to miss the weight at 147 by that much, I mean, that was absolutely criminal. Uh, he did give it a good go. I will say the little clips that I've seen of it, it wasn't televised. I was hoping it would be on Box Nation. A lot of people were, were quite annoyed that it wasn't, but... Um, yeah, the little clip that I did see, he, you know, he showed a lot of heart. He fought back. He hit, um, he hit Leharaga with a beautiful, beautiful uppercut just before Leharaga delivered the final crunching body shot. But um, yeah, I'm not quite sure what Frankie Gavin does from here. It's another loss. Um, you know, a man that had such a promising career that seems to have just gone down the drain so quickly. I think the only fight that Frankie Gavin should be involved in next is he should fight Bradley Ski. And I said that to Bradley Ski earlier this week on Twitter, and he said to me, "But what's the, what, you know, what's the point of fighting him? What's the point? What, like, you know, what does he offer?" Well, you know, my answer is he's got a questionable win over Bradley Ski. I'd like to see Bradley Ski try and avenge that very, very close, um, that very, very close fight, the loss that he had. It was very close. It could have gone either way. I actually felt that Bradley Skeet nicked it on the night, but I think the rematch could could um, you know could be a win for Bradley Skeet. So in effect, he'd wipe a loss off of his record if you like. He'd avenge it, and um, yeah, I'd like to see that fight happen because. You know, Bradley Skeet, I think his last one or two fights, he's took on guys that we've never heard of. We'd much prefer to see him fight Frankie Gavin than a guy um, called you know Oscar whatever from from Mexico you know we'd rather we'd rather see Frankie Gavin in there and you know there's there's a bit of needle there as well so um I'd like to see that fight next for Frankie Gavin other than that I'm not really interested in what he does it's a shame for him like I say um we all picked Leharaga to win that one by knockout if I'm not mistaken let me just double check um Yes, we all went with Laharaga by knockout, so we all gained a point there on the Prediction League. Moving out now to the Brentwood Leisure Centre in United Kingdom, Essex. Um, one fight really to mention over here. We saw Harley Ben, the estranged son of... 
of um, of Nigel Ben, almost forgot his name for a sec. He took on a guy called Teodor Boyadiev, who had a record of one on fourteen with two draws. Boyadiev was down in the first round um, from a right hand, but he got back up, and Harley Ben ended up winning on points over four rounds. So another win for him, like I say, five and zero. And also on this bill, we should mention a very honourable mention to Mikey Saki, the guy whose brother was sat there saying, "Come on, Mikey, come on, Mikey." I'm not quite sure if his brother was doing the same for this show but he moved to seven wins and he's also got those two losses a points win over four rounds here against Ilian Markov who's now three and five with two draws all the best to Saki moving out now to the Victoria Warehouse in Trafford Road Manchester Lancashire United Kingdom um one or two fights, just one fight to mention actually over here. We saw Liam Taylor 19-1. and one. That one loss came to Tyrone Nurse, by the way. He took on Tyrone Nurse here in a rematch. Um, Tyrone Nurse 35-4 and four with two draws. It ended up being a split decision over 10 rounds and this time Taylor won. So he managed to avenge his sole loss to Tyrone Nurse. The first fight was a very close fight. The second one here was a very close fight and um, yeah, those two seem to be very well matched. So a good win there for Liam Taylor he can probably now move on to better things and Tyrone Nurse you know a guy that he's a real good fighter at a certain level but I feel like his career's just kind of been you know been stalled really I think he's kind of stayed around domestically for too long obviously you know not with a major promoter behind him I think he's he's had some real difficult times Tyrone Nurse all the very best to him though and moving now to York Hall Mo Garib, a fighter that I think made his debut or certainly had a fight on a Joe Joyce undercard um I think Mo Garib did something with Haymaker Ringstar maybe for one fight. And I remember him being interviewed before the fight at the David Hay um, the David Hay gym, the Haymaker gym. And I remember Garib, they were asking him questions and he was kind of like, you know, he didn't really know anything about anything else but boxing. All he cared about was winning, winning, winning. And his whole life was completely dedicated to boxing. I think he'd done a run on the way to the gym, like that's how dedicated this guy was, he was serious about his business, he was there with his mother, um, she, she came there as well, it's very much a family thing for Mo Garib. and a fighter that just hearing him speak, I thought, Do you know what, I can really get behind you, you know, I think that, um, you know, he had the he had the right mindset that a champion should have, but it all went wrong for him here, he was 3-0, and he was down in the first round, and he was down again in the third round against Dean Evans, who's 7-26 and with two draws going in, Dean Evans, a journeyman there, he's dropped Garib um, once in the first, like I say, and once in the third, and he's managed to beat him on points over four rounds, so a very tricky four-rounder there for Mo Garib. Commiserations to him. His record 3-1 and one, doesn't look so good now. Uh, moving out now stateside to the big deal that took place on Sky Sports and The Zone um, on Saturday night at the Kansas Star Arena in Kansas, USA, like I say. Um, on this bill, we saw Anthony Sims Jr. He moved to 17-0, and a TKO in the second round against Colby Quarter, who's now 13-13. and We also saw Clarissa Shields move to 7-0, and a win over 10 rounds unanimously against Scotland's very own Hannah Rankin, who's now 5-3. and This one was for the IBF WBA um, world titles, which both belong to Clarissa and, of course, the WBC vacant title, which Clarissa told me last week that she would be um, happy to put 
in her trophy cabinet alongside the others. And also, if you haven't listened to it on last week's show, check out my my brilliant singing with Clarissa Shields. I've had fantastic feedback um, on that, especially from um, from from Barry Jones and Steve Bunce. If anyone was watching the Maurice Hooker bill on Friday night, they gave me a serious plug on there during the the, the live feed. So brilliant stuff there. Um, but yeah, Clarissa moved, like I say, to seven and zero. I think that's her fifth world title now in seven fights, which is just absolutely incredible. But the fight itself, though, I mean, um, in the first round, Dave Coldwell picked up on the commentary that Rankin couldn't find her range, and that was absolutely true, even though it was only a two-minute round. She looked a little bit afraid to overcommit, and maybe rightly so. I know that Clarissa, um, we knew going in, didn't really have much respect for Hannah Rankin, and she showed absolutely no respect from the first bell. Um, A clear round for Clarissa in the first round. I mean, I gave her every round, so I'm just going to save time and not say who I gave the round to, because I gave them all to Shields. In the second round... um, Clarissa was loading up with every shot, really. Uh, She was keeping her hands down. Shields actually nailed Rankin with a beautiful overhand right in the last couple seconds of that second round. And Rankin, to her credit, seemed to take the shot quite well. In the third round, more of the same, really, from Shields. Still dominating. She was walking forward and not really worrying about anything Rankin was throwing back at her. It was a brave effort from Rankin. Even after three rounds, I thought, boy, oh boy, can she stay in there? In the fourth round, Shields landed multiple heavy-looking shots in that fourth round and um, Rankin possibly was unraveling a little bit she seemed like you know she was running out of ideas nothing was working for her at all in the fifth round more of a beating from Shields the jab that Shields possesses is excellent especially amongst the female boxers and that's no knock there I'm just saying it's very hard for men and women to establish a good jab and Clarissa is one of the very special fighters that has got a fantastic jab um But yeah, I mean, she was doubling up, tripling up, even quadrupling up the jab. And it's fast and snappy. And, you know, as nice as she comes across whenever she does the podcast with me, she's a real beast deep down. And in the seventh round, Shields seemed to hurt ranking a few times. And the spite in Shields was crazy. I mean, she was a woman on a mission. She was vicious. I think Hannah Rankin was so lucky that this was a two-minute round contest and not three-minute rounds. I think Hannah probably wished it was a one-minute round contest. Every round would be over in, you know, the whole fight would be over in 10 minutes. But her corner at the end of the seventh actually said that she should let her hands go more, which for me was quite scary advice. And in the eighth round, it was a decent round, actually, from Rankin. She certainly lost it still, but Clarissa looked to be a little bit frustrated. I think she wanted the knockout so badly and I think Hannah was tougher than perhaps we all thought she was going in especially Clarissa I think Clarissa was so angry that she hadn't put her away already now in the ninth round in the last few seconds Rankin actually got wobbled once or twice and it was just um, you know a little bit kind of too little too late because in the tenth round Clarissa came out dominating once again and um, yeah I couldn't see anything but 10 rounds to zero. Very, very good fight, though. I think there was a lot of action. A lot of people kind of, um, you know, beating on this contest, saying that, um, you know, it wasn't a good fight for women's boxing. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. I thought it was quite an exciting fight. A few... I'm not going to mention any names here, but a few other female boxers went to Twitter to start hating on it and stuff like that. Oh, bore off, please. Um, stay in your lane is what I say. Moving up the bill once again, we saw Jarrell Big Baby Miller 22-0 with one draw. He took on the previously undefeated 18-0 Bogdan Dinu, who had a record of 18-0, like I say. It was a fourth-round KO for Big Baby Miller. This one was for the interim WBA NABA heavyweight title and the vacant WBO NABA. ABO heavyweight title. Dinu was down twice in the fight. 
Um, Dinu started off boxing and moving, really, in the first couple rounds, and he was using his feet well. I mean, he was throwing a few shots and getting out of the way. It was the right tactics against Miller, really, but in the third round, Dinu's feet had slowed down a lot, and Miller was just piling on the pressure and sinking those big body shots into Dinu's body, and like I say, in the fourth round, Miller dropped Dinu with a nice combination, finished off with a left hook upstairs. Um, it was actually a right to the body, doubled up, then a right uppercut, then a left hook on the temple, which finished it, and down went Dinu. I mean, he got back up bravely, he carried on, but he got dropped about 10 seconds later and that time he didn't beat the count sky bet had a nice bet boost actually before the fight they had a lovely looking bet boost i don't know if anyone's familiar with the bet boost it's like basically it's like enhanced odds um and it said for miller to get the knockout in rounds one to three it was eight to one or something and i fancied that i put a little bit of money on that and then of course as typical as it can be, he ends up stopping him in the fourth round and not the first, second, or third. But yeah, that was what it was. Uh, moving up the card once again, we saw Brandon Rios move to 35 wins inside 40 fights. He's also got four losses and a draw. It ended up being a TKO in the ninth round against Ramon Alvarez, the brother of Saul Alvarez. Canelo, of course. His record now 27-7 and with three draws. Um, Brandon Rios, I mean, he stepped up in weight for this one. It wasn't his weight class. Alvarez fought with the wrong tactics. He sat on the ropes and took Rios's shots. Um, that and also the fact that Alvarez is extremely limited. I mean, he was tough to his credit. He's a tough Mexican, but that was about it. Um, it was all Rios, even though he didn't look in great shape and he looked a bit fleshy. He didn't really look sharp either. Um, it was poor quality, really, the whole fight. I mean, he signed a deal now with Eddie Hearn, so it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. And the main event, I think it was the main event. I'm not quite sure. No, sorry, it wasn't the main event because it was a few fights down the bill. But um, for some reason, it's, it's it comes across as the main event on the page that I'm looking at it on. Um, Gabriel Rosado, 24 and 11 going in, took on Luis Arias, 18 and 1, friend of the show. Um, this fight was not televised in the UK, so I haven't seen it, and I've been advised to not go and see it because apparently it was absolutely awful. Um, it was for the interim WBO Latino middleweight title. How about that for a strap there? Um, but yeah, Luis Arias was coming off a year layoff. He hadn't fought since the loss to Daniel Jacobs last year, and it ended up being a split draw over 12 rounds. Many people actually saying that Gabriel Rosado should have got the victory and was quite unlucky to get a draw. Um, Firstly, no one likes a draw. Um, secondly, I had real ambitions of Luis Arias doing good things in the sport and big things in the sport. And I feel a little bit gutted for him, really, because I know that he really takes boxing seriously and he really believes in himself and all that. But a draw against Gabriel Rosado, I mean, that's not a good look. That doesn't tell me that you're going to be a future world champion. So I'm a little bit gutted for him. Um, that's two bad performances in a row now. I'm not sure that he... I mean, he certainly can't afford a third one in a row, but um, I'm not sure he's even going to get another big chance like that on TV. I think that he's running out of opportunities there. Um, it's been a shame, really. I mean, to think that he was once an undefeated high-flying prospect with Floyd Mayweather and then he obviously went to Rock Nation and, um, you know, and, and that didn't work out for him. Just like the Floyd thing, it didn't work out for him. Floyd actually um, was, you know, the, the day before he was going to drop him from his promotional stable, I think one of the other fighters at Floyd Mayweather Promotions tipped him off and said, listen, Arias, tomorrow you're going to get dropped by Floyd. And he, he was so confused. He said, why? I mean, Floyd hasn't even spoken to me. And I think Luis Arias turned up at the gym and tried to confront Floyd and all the bodyguards got in his way and Floyd didn't say a word back to him. It was very odd. I mean, he kind of got dumped 
rocked by Mayweather. And then he went to Rock Nation and, you know, his whole career kind of turned into a bit of a stalemate. And then he got dropped by them, if I'm not mistaken. It certainly didn't work out well. And then he finds himself on two Eddie Hearn shows and they've both been bad performances. So not the greatest thing in the world there for Luis Arias. But as a friend of the show, I wish him all the very best. And just before we wrap up the review part of the show, um, the last bill to mention happened on Monday of this week, actually, earlier on this week at the Hilton Hotel in Mayfair, London, United Kingdom, topping the bill. We saw Boy Jones Jr., 18-1 and one with one draw. Now, he stepped in against Craig Evans. This one was for the WBO um, European lightweight title. It was vacant, so the belt was on the line for both guys. Craig Evans, um, his record 18-2 and two with two draws going in. Now, it ended up being a unanimous decision over 10 rounds, so Craig Evans the new WBO champion. Also on the bill, we saw Willie Hutchinson. He got a win over Ferenc Albert. He moved to 6-0, and and I think that was about it, really, to mention from that one there. It was a Nordoff Robbins um, charity event that, that uh, Frank Warren puts on once a year, so credit to him for doing great things there for a fantastic charity but that really wraps up the review part of the show just before we wrap up part one the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former ibf flyweight world title challenger it is of course mr charlie edwards charlie welcome back on the show thank you for having me on always mate it's always my pleasure, Char. So we last spoke back in April. It was just before your fight against Anthony Nelson. Yeah. Now, obviously, you went on to win that fight in devastating fashion, a brutal finish in the third round. Um, arguably the performance of your career, would you agree? Uh, yeah, definitely. 100% it was probably the performance of my career. It wasn't my toughest opponent today. But, um, yeah. It wasn't because I was running because of obviously I fought for the world title and I feel that although I got beat in it, I still performed out of my skin for that fight. It wasn't the way it, I, I wanted it to go, but I um, still showed a lot. But yeah, it was and um, it was a brilliant knockout. It was a knockout real performance. And to think, like I say, that Anthony Nelson had had an extremely competitive and exciting fight against Jamie Conlon. Now, I'm not comparing you and Conlon as fighters, but in terms of your performance, both of your performances against Nelson, I mean, all I can say is, wow. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think the performances show for themselves, to be honest. Um, but Jamie's a, a great lad and a very good fighter in himself. So um, you can't really compare two fighters. Styles make fights, and, and that's what it comes down to. Now, of course, you haven't fought since that Nelson win, and I, I know that you were hoping to fight sooner than December 22nd. You were hoping to fight, I believe, in October, November, um, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, what actually delayed that from happening, Char, if you can it's say? Just, it's just big fights take time to make, and like, I'm still learning about this. Like My customer fight come around very quickly, and it just happens straight away where this fight is a, is a fight we've been having to look at options of what world champion that we was going to go and pursue. We tried a few things, things didn't come come off the plan. They uh, got offers elsewhere and they wanted to go that way. But um, also we were sitting around trying to like, bait out your fight again. That never happened. So really it was just like kind of big fights take time and to get people to fight you is hard. Especially when like, I believe I am a world-class fighter and I believe I'm a big risk for anyone. So unless the world champion wants to um, come over for a certain amount of money that Eddie's willing to pay, that's the only way to do it. 
and now it's officially on. Christopher Rosales will come back to the UK for what I believe is the fourth <clears> time, and it's going to be taking place on the White versus Chisora 2 undercard. Now, what do we know about Rosales Char? Obviously, like I say, we've seen him a few times now. He's a, a very, very um, strong, tough, gritty operator who comes to fight. He, um, he apparently punches very hard. He's got a good, good knockout ratio. He's he's very he is very one pace, but he is fit and he'll be there the whole way through the fight. But there is a lot of flaws to him, and there's a lot of opportunities to be able to catch him clean and to outbox him. And obviously, we saw him last time out against Paddy Barnes. Um, you know, he demolished yeah. Paddy Barnes really, and we've also seen him yeah. lose both of his other two fights I mentioned on British soil to Selby and to Yafai. Now everyone talks about Rosales's size, but when I've actually looked at it. He's only half an inch taller than you, Charlie. People forget that you're very big for flyweight also. Yeah, I'm a very big flyweight, a massive flyweight at that. So um, I'm not only big is in tall, I do hold the weight well. You can see that my stature and my strength is there. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not a big thing about him being big. If anything, I prefer to fight to all the fighters. And like I say, I'm not in this game just to win a world title at one weight. That's not my goal. I want to go through weights and I want to win world titles. And that's why I'm dropping back down to flyweight because I believe I can, I can beat beat Rosales. I believe I can beat most of the world champions in the flyweight division now. So why not go down? It'd be a sacrifice and a lot of hard work, but I'm actually making my way easier than ever because I'm doing it properly. When I'd done it two and a half years ago against Casemiro, I didn't really know the pro game. I didn't know how to make the weight the best way. I was doing it a very amateurish way. So... I've learned a lot of experience over the last two and a half years and I've been able to put that now and realise I can make flyweight. And I think once I get past Rosales, not looking too far ahead, but the, the division's open for me. And obviously, like you mentioned there, um, you know, the, the, that fight that took place quite a while ago. Now, that was the last time that you'd actually made the flyweight limit because it seemed as though your future was going to be at Superfly. You've kind of answered my question a little bit in what you just said, but how difficult or easy has it been to make the weight is it harder or easier than you anticipated it'd be to get down to flyweight again well i i obviously i'm not walking around on flyweight limits now i'm not um i haven't hit the eight stone limit now but whereas where i am in camp right now i could have made it for my last fight against uh, Andy nelson and i did have a laugh with my coaches so i just weighing up flyweight just to have a laugh and just to prove i can do it to everyone and that will be like a big uproar that I've made flyweight for a super flyweight contest. And he was like, no, don't be stupid. Eat up. Make sure you, you make the weight easy, comfortably. And um, we'll focus on this and then look to pursue that. But we know we can make it now. And I was like, all right, sweet. So then I knew I could make the weight. It would have meant maybe not eating the night before my weighing. But let's be honest, most fighters don't do that. So... I knew I could make it comfortably, and, and when I rehydrated up, I knew I could be as strong as I was that night. And the performance I put on there and the strength I can carry down to flyaway, I've matured a hell of a lot, and I've grown into a man, and um, I've realised how to be an ultra-professional now and to do the weight from weeks in advance, dedicate my life to it, and um, I'm stronger. I'm, I'm more of a... I, I'm like a man. I've probably got more muscular as well, which makes me be able to drop a little, more, little bit more water from my body. And like I say, I hate to bang on about old times and all that, but, you know, people forget 
that if you'd have won that fight on the on the Brook Golovkin undercard, you would have become the quickest Englishman ever to win a world title. Now, a lot of people seem to overlook that fact. What you tried to do there was absolutely, you know, you can't blame you for trying to do that. It was absolutely unbelievable. No shame in losing that fight. Um, obviously, Casemiro and Rosales, they don't fight like each other at all. But did no. you learn anything in that result? Sorry, in the Casemiro fight that you can bring into this fight so that the outcome is very much different? Yeah, I, I learned a hell of a lot. Like, a, like, I was very young and naive to the sport of world boxing. And um, I believe that I've, I've walked the road. I know what it's like to do fight week. I know what it's like to do the public workout. I know what it's like to come close to close head-to-head with the world champion and warming up for a world title fight and walking out in front of a 20,000 O2 arena when really my our back was up against the wall against a two-weight world champion who was a massive explosive puncher. So um, I've lived it. I know what it's like to get hurt. I know what it's like to be down on the canvas. I've gained all that experience and know what I did wrong and how I went into the fight wrong and how I wasn't preparing right for fights. So carrying that through now, I believe I'm 100% ready. I've gone away. I've I've like I've been sparring with Ryan Burnett, as unified bantamweight world champion he was. Don't forget. And when we spar in the spars are nip and tuck, very very good spars, very competitive spars. Um, I went over to the Ukraine, I sparred Dalekay, and I've been sparring Filipinos over there, a super bantamweight Ukrainian also. So it's like, I've been around now, I've done my done my proper work, I've put in the groundwork, and I've sparred world champion after world champion, and I know now what it is like to mix at that level, and now I am ready, and I will show that on December the 22nd. And your rival, Cal Yafai, defends his world title this weekend. Um, he takes on Israel Gonzalez. What do you make of that fight, Char? Oh, good luck to him. Hopefully he keeps on winning. And I'm sure he will. It's a hand-picked opponent again. Someone who was ranked below me, actually, at Super Flyweight when he was giving it all the big and about because I ain't in no rankings, I won't fight you. But then he went and picked some, someone who was below me. So kind of contradicts himself. But good luck to him. I hope he goes on and wins. Hope he puts a good performance in. It's all building the fight, and all my focus on now is December twenty second. That fight is going to happen in the future, mark my words. And um, when it does happen, it's going to be massive, and I look forward to that. But right now, I'm just focusing on Chris Christopher and um, yeah, I'm going to go and, and put in a big performance and actually introduce myself to world boxing. I'm a serious competitor. People look at me and they don't realise how much I've come on because I have, they haven't seen me a lot in the last two and a half years because I had a lot of fights where I wasn't being pushed. I wasn't hungry for them fights because at the end of the day, you can only be as... You can only... I wasn't enjoying boxing when I wasn't getting enough attention that I deserved. I put in the hard work and I've been in the gym for the last two years. It's not like I'm I'm a complete athlete. I don't go out of the gym and I'm out of the gym for two months and then get a fight and then eight weeks before get back into camp. That's not me. I live the life of an athlete. I learn every single day. And I'm really looking forward to be chucked back in that world scene. And you'll see me shine. Look look what I've done at um, domestic scene. Absolutely wiped him out. Who someone who had formerly fought for a world title after him had um, had real trouble with him. So I'm looking forward to getting in there against someone everyone's rate. As you can see, he knocked Paddy Barnes out of a body shot and in the fourth round. So everyone goes on like Paddy Barnes. I really still believe he's overrated and he is he's very old now and he's kind of kind of like scrubbing a 
a career on his old Olympian name. I know he's got quite a few fans in Ireland. Just actually seen an interview of him saying that he's the main man at flyweight. I don't know who's deludedly told him that, but he basically has said that he don't want to fight no British fighter, as in me, Selby, or my brother. He just wants to fight at the world scene. Well, when I win this world title, here, he'll have to be fighting me. And, and, and that's, I know I'm going on, that's another story, but yeah. Ooh. And that's the first time I've heard that from you. Usually it's sunny. It seems like you two are going to be pushing and shoving to try and fight bonds. <laughs> the thing is, my brother's a class operator and Paddy just like tried fighting and saying that he's the main flyaway and it, it's like we need him for TV. I'm not being funny. I'm not being disrespectful or rude, but I'm fighting on a Sky Sports box office and I think it's chief support and he's bringing my name into it. I just don't really understand it. He wouldn't even get close to my brother, and that's the fact of it. Yeah. But now back on to um, just briefly about Cal. Like I say, he said something this week yeah. about he wants unifications in 2019. So like I say, should you win, and should he win on this on this weekend? Um, we have to make a catch away, don't we? When I win this WBC World Belt, no one cares about flyweight or super flyweight, especially the British public. They don't un- understand the difference between three pounds weight difference. So people are going to be calling for it. And then if Cal yet again will back down. But we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Yeah, we certainly will. But yeah, like I say, Sonny's win the other week over Ryan Farag. Now, I know that we were actually sat pretty much together um, ringside. What a performance mm-hmm. from Sonny. I mean, he did everything but knock Farag out. He simply couldn't have dominated more than he did. He really announced himself right there. A proud brother moment for you. Very, very proud brother moment. It's a, um, It was an absolute masterclass performance and a schooling. And that performance does him no justice because a lot of people won't want to fight him even more so now. So uh, I, I would really think that my brother is fighting in um, two weeks before me, fighting for a title against, um, I don't know, actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Yeah. No, 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 you're I'm not allowed, allowed to say release. it. <laughs> you're not allowed to say no. it. It's, it's only a week before you, I think, though, Char. Ain't it the 15th? Yes, yeah, sorry, a week before me, yeah. There we go. I think it might have been announced on Twitter, but I don't know if it has. But he's got a very good fight against someone who caused a a, a very tough night's work and he'll go out and do the same and put another masterclass on. Absolutely. So like I say there, you know, your fight's a week after his. Will you be there at the, uh, I think it's the Brentwood Leisure Centre, will you be there to support him a week earlier? I'm absolutely gutted, but I won't be there to support him. And um, sometimes in, in this sport of boxing, it's a very mad, mad world but me being living in Sheffield now and a week before my fight the biggest fight of my career and and today that I can't be travelling down and coming up because that could take a percentage off and at this world level boxing all it takes is 1% to be out and it can change a night's work and he understands that and um, yeah it's just what my coach has said as well to me so I'm gutted but I'll be supporting back home and I'm, I'm in no doubt that he'll go and put a masterclass in. And I'm sure seven days later he'll be with you in London. Now, um, yeah, I'm, I must get your take on the fight that's happening, not this weekend, but the uh, the weekend after that. Char, Fury Wilder, talk to me. Oh, it's just it's, it's a mad one, isn't it? Like, because you, you, 
it's, it's a hard one because you think about it on two different spectrums. You think about how like much Fury's put his body through abuse and like how far he went away from the game and his last performance hasn't been that great. So like you would you would think that like, I think about it and I think uh, Wilder's gonna 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 be too much for him. But then on the other hand, I'm like. No way can you bet against Fury at anything. This is these are the kind of fights where Fury just makes everyone eat their words. So like it's such a hard one to actually pick. But like I could see why people would say, Oh, Wilder's gonna knock him out and then I could see why people saying, Oh, Fury's gonna flit around and mess him up and outbox him for rounds. So I I just don't know which one to go. It's one of them ones, isn't it? It's one of them mad, mad fights that you just don't know and you can never bet against Fury. <laughs> he certainly has. It's one of those fights, like I say. But of course, we 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 certainly want Fury. To I want win. Fury. Yeah, hundred percent. I want Fury to win. Yeah, thousand percent. Yeah, for sure. And finally, Char, just before I let you go, any closing words at all for the listeners or anyone that may be listening? I just want to say thanks for having me on. You always support me and always give me exposure. Thanks for everyone listening in. Uh, mark my words on December the twenty second. I will be crowned WBC world champion and the new. And the new, and the new. Charlie, you, you already know this, my friend. I wish you the absolute best for the 22nd. Um, hopefully next time you're on the podcast, you will be accompanied by a beautiful green and gold belt. I will be. Don't you worry about that. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Ayaz, take it away. What you got? Uh, Virginia Singh has signed with top rank. Yeah, a bit of a weird one, really. I mean, obviously, we know that, you know, this guy was like a, a Bollywood actor. Um, he was a policeman, and he did um, he did fantastically well, actually, in the amateurs. People forget that. And then he turned pro, and he went with Frank Warren, and, you know, they put on one or two shows in India, and I'm not quite sure what happened. The relationship just broke down. There's not really been many words said on it, and he kind of disappeared into oblivion. I mean, he was supposed to take on Lee Markham, if I'm not mistaken, and then that fight fell through. That was a great fight that I was looking forward to. And, um, yeah, I mean, he disappeared, and then he's now signed with top rank, and they've got plans to make boxing big in Delhi. So it's fantastic for the Indian fans. And um, all the best to Vijendra Singh. I just want to see him in, in big fights. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Anthony Yard will be on the undercard of Tyson Fury fight. Yes, December the 1st. No opponent announced just yet. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be another American opponent. I know this will be the second time that Yard has gone out to the States and had a fight. The last one was on a huge undercard. I think it was Canelo Liam Smith um, in a massive stadium. And now this one's on quite possibly the biggest undercard of of the year. You know, So, um, yeah, a, uh, a fantastic opportunity for him. I'm, I'm hoping that the opponent, even though there's not long to... There's not much time to, to find one. I'm hoping it's a decent enough opponent. But then again, he did fight about a month ago now. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it's the last um, subpar opponent for Yard. And 2019, we'll, we'll see him stepped up. Nathan Gorman will fight Alex Leopold on the Carl Frampton undercard. Yeah, big step up there for Nathan Gorman. Obviously, Leopai, I mean, you know, he's not like a well-beater, but, I mean, certainly from 
from um, Nathan Gorman's level. It's a humongous step up. Leopai has been in there with the likes of Vladimir Klitschko. Obviously lost that by knockout in the fifth round. Um, he had a bad spell from 2014 to 2015 where he lost to Malik Scott at home. I remember Malik Scott went on the road for that one. Then he lost to Manuel Char. But since then he's been undefeated and that was back in 2015 May. So since then he's been undefeated. He's had the three fights. Um, admittedly one of them was a draw but he had a rematch with a guy and knocked him out in a round, so, you know, he's he's doing okay. Um, he's been around the block. I mean, he's much more experienced in terms of pro boxing um, than than Nathan Gorman, but it's a fight that I like, and Leopai um, can bang, and to be honest, he's quite a tough guy. So, um, you know, if he, if he was able to stop him early, um, Nathan Gorman, then that would be a huge statement. So I'm all for that fight. I think he's a brilliant step up, and um, can't wait for that one. Brian Jennings will fight Oscar Rivas on January the 18th. Yeah, Oscar Rivas, um, an undefeated fighter, I think, that fights out of Canada, but he's Colombian, and um, it's all a bit bizarre. But yeah, he didn't look too great in either his last fight or the fight before. I think it was on Box Nation, if I remember correctly. And... um, yeah, I mean, he's been treading water for a while. He was a good amateur, Rivas, and now he takes on Bryant Jennings, which I think is quite a solid fight, quite a good fight. And if he is as good as what some people say, then he should beat Jennings. I think Jennings, to some degree, without being disrespectful, has ended up being a little bit of a gatekeeper. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if he can get past Jennings, then fair enough. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but... On recent form, I'd have to say Jennings would probably go into that as the favourite, and he's a friend of the show, so all the best to him. And Martin Murray will fight Hassan and Dam on the Carframpton undercard. Yeah, like we say, I mean, we mentioned just there about um, about Nathan Gorman taking on Alex Leopold. This is another brilliant fight for that undercard. It's turning out to be a fantastic bill. Ever since um, Sky have confirmed that White and Chisora is going to be on pay-per-view on the same night as Warrington and Frampton. It seems like Frank Warren's gone, do you know what, we've got to really make sure that we've got a wicked card from top to bottom. So I'm liking that, and this is another fantastic fight, like you say. Hassan and Dam, a friend of the show, former world champion himself, um, a very tough guy. Um, I think the one downfall about Dam is I don't think that he's, even though he's tough, I don't think he's... I don't think he takes a shot fantastically. So him against someone like a Lemieux, we saw that, or someone like a Triple G, I don't really give him much of a shot. But when he takes on someone like Martin Murray, who's not a big puncher, I give him a huge shot. And I actually think that he could end up probably beating Martin Murray. Um, But yeah, a brilliant fight. Very much a 50-50 fight. Let's not get that wrong. Um, But yeah, I think Murray... Even though he's been so unlucky in in his big fights, um, if he's got one big fight left in him, then he should win this one. But if he doesn't, then unfortunately, I think it's the end of the road for Murray. But yeah, and damn, he's a brilliant fighter, man. Let's not take that you know, let's not take that fight for granted. Anyone that's big fans of Murray, do not overlook and damn, he's a quality operator, a true one. Uh, Liam Willis will face Mark Heffron on the Carframpton undercard. Yeah, another fight for the undercard. I mean, Liam Williams was supposed to be taking on JJ Metcalf. That all seemed a little bit messy. Metcalf um, kind of, uh, I think he injured himself a little bit and then 
the fight was going to get called off and then he's actually decided that actually he's okay and he can fight and Liam Williams basically said no can't be bothered with all that you've missed your opportunity now and he now takes on Mark Heffron an undefeated prospect who's being highly touted so that fight for me is probably even bigger and probably even riskier JJ Metcalf would be kicking himself a little bit but yeah that's a brilliant fight and perhaps he takes on the winner but um, yeah it's a chance here to see how good Heffron is and a chance to see how good Williams is above this kind of level because everyone believes that Williams is a decent fighter. I say everyone, I mean I do, and um, he should beat Heffron, but then again if Heffron is as special as what some people believe, then he should beat Liam Williams, so it's a brilliant fight. Um, I wouldn't say it's a 50-50, it's probably a 60-40 in favour of Williams in my opinion, but um, still a cracker for that beautiful undercard. Daniel Dubois will headline a show on December the 15th on the BT Sport uh, live at Brentwood. Yeah, the Brentwood Centre. Um, that's the the place that Anthony Yard headlined last time out when he fought. Also on the undercard, because there's been no opponent confirmed for the main event for Daniel Dubois, but on the undercard, Bradley Skeet fights. Also, Sonny Edwards is in a good fight. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to that one there. On the 15th of December at the Brentwood Centre. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yep, and that's it for the news. Thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start at the Casino de Monte Carlo Salé Medicine in Monaco. Few fights to mention on this bill. We have Daniel Yelusinov, 4 0. He's in an eight rounder against Marcos Majika. Majika's record um, 16 and 2 with two draws. Of his 16 wins, 12 are by knockout. He's a fighter from Nicaragua. So, um, yeah, looks like a little bit of a banger there. That, sh- that one should be quite interesting. Um, also on the bill, we've got Michael Hunter, my dear friend, 15 and 1. We'll be speaking to him in a few moments' time. Um, obviously, coming off of that brilliant knockout against Martin Bacoli. Um, It was just over, I think it was just five weeks ago, and now he steps in at late notice to take on Alexander Ustinov. Um, I think he's had about 10 days notice for this fight, and I'm not talking about 10 days from today, I'm talking about 10 days when fight night comes, so he hasn't really had long. I think he arrived in Monaco on Monday or I think it might have been Tuesday. I think it was late um, late on Monday. I will ask him. And, um, yeah, obviously, Ustinov, 34-2. and two. He was training to take on the six foot six undefeated Olympic silver medalist from China, um, Zilil Zhang. But Zilil Zhang pulled out of the fight. I'm not quite sure why. And um, Michael Hunt has been drafted in here. So, um, obviously, Ustinov, 34-2. and two. Like I say, those two losses, one came to Char last time out, which was actually one day away come fight night from a year ago when he got beat by Char over 12 rounds for the vacant WBA regular world heavyweight title when he was down in the eighth round of that fight. But um, yeah, he's coming off a year layoff, which isn't great. And Michael Hunter's coming off a fight five weeks ago, which isn't great. So both men are in similar boats in terms of their preparation, I'm guessing. But Ustinov's been training for a completely different kettle of fish, a guy that's six foot six. And obviously Michael isn't that. Michael's a small heavyweight and the other guy is quite a big one. But yeah, Ustinov's going to be the much bigger guy here. Um, You know, he's obviously had a proper training camp for this fight. He is 41 years of age. Um, Michael, if he's, and I'm going to say this honestly, if he's fit and he can box and move, he can easily, easily outbox Ustinov. He can dance rings around him and not even lose a round. But it simply comes down to will he be fit enough? Because I saw him gassing against Bacoli after about three or four rounds. He was really tired. And this one's a 12-rounder, not a 10-rounder like the other month. No, no, no. This one's a 12-rounder. So, um, 
absolutely, I'm praying to God that Michael can pull this win off because, you know, I love Michael to bits and he's one of my closest friends in boxing. So I really hope he can get the win here and proceed to 16-1. and one. I think there was supposed to be a belt on the line for this one, but maybe not. So, um, yeah, the finalization is there's no belt on the line. But all the very best to Michael Hunter. I would love to see him win that fight. We're actually going to go to the predictions on that, Iaz. Michael Hunter against Alexander Ustinov. I'm going with a Michael Hunter knockout. Uh, the listeners are going with Michael Hunter on points. How do you see it? I'll go with Michael Hunter on points. I thought you were going to go Ustinov knockout. No, nope, not on this one. Okay, okay, okay. Michael Hunter points. Um, okay, moving up the card once again. Let's talk about Frank Buglioni, 22 and 3 with one draw. He fights for the IBF Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title against Fan Long Meng, 13 and 0, undefeated, um, an undefeated Southpaw from China. This one's a 12 round contest. We don't know too much about Meng. I think he was a good amateur. Um, Buglioni's got a fantastic record against Southpaws. We had him on the show a few weeks back, Buglioni. Obviously, one of the nicest men in boxing once again and I really hope he can win this fight, but it's another tough ask. I mean, he's the favourite, so maybe it's not too much of a tough ask. How do you see that one playing out, by the way, Ayaz? Buglioni and Fan Long Meng. I'm going to go with uh, Frank Buglioni on points. Yeah, that's how the listeners have, have seen it as well. I mean... You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I know loads about Meng, but I think he had a decent amateur career, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, he's undefeated as a pro, but he hasn't really fought anyone on Buglioni's level. So, I'm. Do you know what? I, I hope that. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but I think I, I, I think that Meng might pull off an upset here, and I'm going to say Meng on points. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. Um, also, Dennis Lebedev, 31-2. and two. He fights Mike Wilson, 19-0, and 0, undefeated American. That's a 12-round contest there. How do we see that one going, Ayaz? Lebedev, obviously a man that we wanted to see involved in the Cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series tournament. If not the first time, the second time. He's not been in neither. And here he is in Monte Carlo, um, taking on an undefeated American here. 12-round contest. Um, I'm going to go with Lebedev on points. Okay, Lebedev points. I'm going to go with Lebedev by knockout. So have the listeners, so that'll be interesting. And the main event, Cal Yafai, 24-0. and 0. Um, I, I hope he wins this. So does Charlie Edwards, even though he's uh, one of his biggest rivals. He defends his WBA World Super Flyweight title against Israel Gonzalez, 23-2, and 2, a 12-round contest. I'm going to go Yafai on points. The listeners have gone Yafai on points. Um, how do you see it, Ayaz? I'm going to go with Yafai by knockout. Okay, okay. I was going to go with that. I'm not going to lie. I was in two minds. But yeah, um, yeah. this guy's a pretty tough guy to a certain level. But obviously, I'm expecting Yafai to be way too good for him on the night. That one's Saturday night on Sky Sports. I think it might be at a strange time. So check that one out. Um, also, we have happening at York Hall, Bethnal Green. A couple of fights to mention over here. Um, we've got Harlem Eubank, the estranged son of Chris Eubank. Um, he's record 5-0. and oh. He's in a 6 round against Peter Alexandrov, who's 3-4. Sam Gilly, a prospect that was also on a Haymaker undercard one time on one of Joe Joyce's undercards. His record 6-0. He's in a 6 round against Ryan Toms, who's 16-15 and 15 with 3 draws. That should be quite good. Also on that bill, Tony Banj, a man that was involved with Prince Nassim Hamed. I'm not quite sure what's going on between those two now. He's in a 4-rounder against Dale Arrowsmith, who's 2-20 with 1 draw. Tony Banj, like I say, 5-0. And, and moving 
moving out now to the final bill to mention. This one's happening at the Mark G. Ates Arena in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, USA. It's going to be shown on HBO. It's also going to be shown on Box Nation. They deliver once again here. Um, we're going to start with the undercard. We've got, well, there's not too much really to mention. It's not a great undercard. Um... Sergei Kuzmin, 13-0, a man that stopped David Price. I mean, it wasn't because he knocked David Price out on the Joshua Povetkin undercard. It was because Price pulled out because he went into the fight with an injury, which was quite stupid. But anyway, Sergei Kuzmin, 13-0. He puts his WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title on the line against Laron Mitchell, who's 16-1. and And the main event here, we're going to go to the predictions on this once again. Dimitri Bivol, 14-0. He takes on Jean Pascal, 33-5, with one draw. This one's a 12-round contest for Bivol's WBA World Light Heavyweight title. It's quite funny because Bivol won that belt on an Eddie Hearn show in Monte Carlo. And now, on the same night that Eddie Hearn's putting on another show in Monte Carlo, he's defending that same belt and he's got nothing to do with Eddie Hearn anymore. Not quite sure what happened with their relationship, but he's gone and he's obviously now with main events. So, um, yeah, this one's on HBO. But, yeah, he takes on John Pascal as former world champion, very good fighter, a man that briefly retired, then came back, and he's looked pretty decent since he's come back. I think he's had two fights, both wins. And... Um, yeah, he's a tricky customer. He is a tricky customer, but obviously, you know, Kovalev kind of showed us that if you can punch if you can punch quite hard, then you can pretty much walk through Pascal. And that's what Kovalev did. And, you know, Bivol's a real thunderous puncher as well. Oh, I think uh, Bivol's a very good fighter. Obviously, we've seen him fight on the Eddie Hearn show. Um, I think he's going to be a star. And if, I think he's a star already. But yeah, I'm going to go with Bivol knockout. Bivol by knockout. All right. I, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to go against the grain. The listeners, by the way, have gone with Bivol by knockout, so you're not on your own eyes. But I'm going to go Bivol on points because I think, I think that Jean Pascal can can hustle Bivol a little bit. I'm not saying he's gonna he's gonna um, you know win many rounds. I just think he's quite crafty, and I think that he's going to give Bivol something or show Bivol something that he hasn't yet seen in the pro ranks. And with his experience, I think Pascal's going to fiddle his way. Um, to to a points loss. That's what I'm going to say. I don't think he's going to stop Pascal. But listen, if he does, then fair enough. I saw Kovalev write an Instagram message to Bivol in Russian um, earlier this week. He said, punish him because he's a liar. He didn't pay up that bet that we had. Apparently, they had a 50k bet and the loser would donate the money to charity. And apparently... Um, Pascal, after the fight, just did a runner and didn't pay the 50k, but he's got his own side of the story, so what I'm saying may not be gospel. Um, he, he let me know that on, on Twitter. He said to me, he didn't even shake my hand on it. So apparently that means that the bet is completely not on. There's a, there's a few different ways of looking at that. Um, let's just quickly go over the, the predictions from last week, which I've kind of missed out where we've been going through everything so quickly. Last week, we all went with Leharaga by knockout. We all gained a point there. Um, we all went with Shields by knockout. That didn't happen. Um, we all went with Arius on points, and that didn't happen. We all went with... Miller by knockout, that happened, so we all gain a point there, so that's two points gained, and then we were divided on one other fight, and that was Rios against Alvarez, Um, you and the listeners, I both went with Rios on points, that didn't happen, and I bravely went with Rios by knockout, so once again, I've gained more points, I think it's about three or four weeks in a row now, so you can imagine how I'm feeling, absolutely brilliant, but yeah, that is the end of the preview part of the show, we brought you guest number one, we brought you the review and the preview, we brought you the 
news. I, as you did, fantastic on the news. Just before we wrap up part two, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2012 Olympian, the former Cruiserweight World Title Challenger and the new IBO Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Michael Hunter. Mike, welcome back on the show. How you doing? I'm good. good, Welcome to be, I'm, I'm glad to be back. (laughs) This <laughs> is brilliant to have you back, Mike. So we last spoke just before that Bacoli fight. Now, you were a huge underdog. No one gave you a chance. You said you'd knock him out. No one believed you. But it didn't make any difference to the outcome of the fight. Please, if you can, walk us through that fight round by round. Well, the first round, I think I felt like I started too fast. I was basically, I just watched the fight for the first time. You know, I set a, you know, I set a, a pace that I knew he couldn't keep up with. And, um, you know, I even, you know, had a little trouble keeping up with it at the time. But I, I just felt like, you know, the first first couple of rounds that he was going to go. You know, I was expecting him to fall before that. But, uh, you know, um, I, I have a major, major will, you know. So I know that's, that's what got me over. And, uh, you know, he was a big, strong guy. And, you know, just going through the rounds, you know, I was taking it, uh, you know, round by round. Um, but, uh, and hitting him with some big shots and the way he was taking them was very surprising. And then, um, you know, he, he, he threw some big shots back at me. Uh, I was never really, really, really worried about being hurt or anything like that, as you could tell in how I fought. Um, not that I wouldn't want to say I gave him no respect, but I just felt like, uh, you know, I was the superior fighter and, uh, you know, towards the end, I, I definitely proved it. Now, you tired pretty clearly during that fight, but I still had you winning pretty much every round despite that. I think I probably gave Bacoli maybe two rounds, um, you know, despite yourself being tired and despite how strong Bacoli is. Did you feel in control during that whole entire fight, or were there moments where you perhaps weren't as comfortable as others? Um, yeah, like, like you said, there was maybe like just very certain spots in maybe like two rounds where I wouldn't say that I was out of control, but I would say that he was coming on strong and trying to give it. And I, was, I felt like it was his last hurrah. Once he uh, couldn't get me out of there and he tried to do is give it all his, he could, all his strength, you know, I think, I felt like that was like, you know, uh, you know, his last hurrah. You know, he was giving it the rest he could. And it was like in the seventh, eighth round, um, you know, he tried to hit me with some big, he did hit me with some decent shots. But, you know, I took it and I looked at him in his eyes, and I think that's when he called it quits. You know, um, I was trying to keep a good pace on him, going to the body a lot. And, uh, you know, I know when he gave up is when he, you know, if you watch the fight in the beginning, I tried to reach out and touch his hand. And uh, when she didn't reach out and touch my hand, which was, you know, that's a good thing. But when in the, like, fourth or fifth, sixth round, one of them rounds, he tapped me on my shoulder and basically, he, he basically did the same thing I was trying to do with him, to give him respect. He tapped me on my shoulder, and I knew right from there that he was done. You know, he, he quit. He called it quits. He, he, he gave me my respect, and I earned it right then and there. So I knew I, it was only a matter of time. If I just keep the pressure and keep hitting him with these big shots, that I would get him. I, I actually knew I was going to knock him out, even though it was towards the end of the 10th round. I still was very confident. Um, I thought I was going to get him out in the, in the ninth. But he, he, you know, he did some tactics to stay in there a little longer. But once I knew I, uh, 
that I could land some decent shots and I was in a good position to let my hands go. Uh, you know, I knew I would do that and it would be, you know, uh, a good combination and we were going to be taking it from there. Yeah, and like I say, a fantastic stoppage. I think you gave the referee one just for good measure on the on the end of it. Um, <laughs> the final. Yeah, that question... was that was for him not stopping it. <laughs> that was for him not stopping it. <laughs> now, the, the final question on that fight. I mean, the following day, the day after um, after the fight, obviously you were resting up in your hotel, and I called you to let you know the scorecards at the time of the stoppage. Now, two judges had it a draw going into the final round, the tenth round, and the other judge had you just one round up. And I want to kind of ask you, what was your reaction to me telling you that, Mike? Because at the time, you were pretty speechless. I don't think you reacted because you couldn't say anything when I told you that. You couldn't believe it. Yeah, um, I still feel the same way, you know, and even going in the fight, you know, I knew I was, um, you know, anytime I go to somebody's hometown or I'm going to try to take somebody else's uh, title from them, I always put myself down one or two, you know. So I kind of knew I was going to be down, but I felt like I did enough to to win the fight, even with the two rounds. Like you said, you gave them two rounds, uh, that's four rounds, and that still doesn't beat, you know, ten, you know. So uh, I, I wasn't totally surprised by it but i was i was a little uh disappointed in how they would try to uh you know do that to me when i felt like i outpunched him uh four punches to one you know every time and i i kind of kept that count in my head you know i would punch him three to four combinations uh anytime that he would hit me once i would hit him two or three four times you know so i kind of kept that count in my head you know boxers we kind of tend to do that even the rounds and stuff like that but um, so once when I got the when you told me about it, I was just you know it was jaw dropping. But you know I had to swallow it because I I kind of knew that something like that could definitely happen, and, and that's why I pushed for the knockout. You know it, it all amounted to nothing in the end. Screw it. You know you you won the fight in in fantastic fashion. The judges were not needed whatsoever. Now you went back to the states with a new belt. Um, more importantly, you you went back to the states with a new T-shirt. Wink, wink. <laughs> but when you got back yeah. in the States, Mike, what did you do in terms of training and or resting in the, in the period before you got the call for this fight that we're going to talk about in a moment? Um, well, you know, this, this boxing thing is, is not seasonal. You know, it's not like other sports. There's not, we don't really play it. So there's no seasons involved. Um, so uh, when I got back home, you know, I got right back to training. But, you know, when we say training, we're, we're talking about softer stuff, recovery stuff. You know, I, I did take some big punches. I got cut on, on both my eyes a little bit. Um, you know, so I was just doing a lot of healing, putting, you know, uh, you know, ointments and, you know, icing and, you know what I'm saying, making sure, you know, I, I actually, I could have, you know, done nothing, but, you know, I want to keep my mind fresh, keep my body as fresh as I can. Um, but I, and I healed up, you know, well, I didn't have no real, bad hand injuries or, you know, leg or knee or elbows or anything like that. And uh, if I if I had anything, they probably, you know, doing the ice baths and, you know, the softer stuff, stretching, yoga, um, things like that uh, of those sorts for the first week. And I do a little uh, fasting uh, to help me recover, get my body. Uh, my body doesn't have to think about digesting food. It can think about fully recovering and, and doing what it's supposed to do as far as the healing process. So, um, you know, I, I kind of, I've been fast. I was fasting for, uh, actually I was fasting for about two weeks and, uh, you know, I got, I got a, a word of this, you know, maybe like, you know, a week after, but, 
I just started doing a lot more physical stuff. Even when I, I, I'm fast, I actually, you know, I still kind of do physical stuff. It's just not, uh, you know, hard and um, taxing on your body and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I bought, you know, training and stuff like that. That's like an everyday thing for me. So I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not out of shape. You know, it was only a month ago and I trained really, uh, really hard for the uh, Pacoli fight. So, um, you know, I'm ready. And like I say, out of nowhere, you've jumped into a fight here on Saturday against Alexander Ustinov. Now, he was set to take on Zalil Zhang, a, uh, a, a Olympic silver medalist, but obviously Zhang pulled out the fight. He's six foot six. He was um he was an undefeated pro. Um so you know obviously Ustinov was preparing for him. But like I say, you've stepped in his place. How much notice in total, Mike, from from you know from the first kind of moment where you decided yes, I'm going to take this fight up until the actual fight night? Have you had? Uh, could you repeat that again? I'm sorry. Was that no, that's fine, Mike. I'm saying, like, since you first decided, yes, I'm going to definitely take this fight against Ustinov, mm-hmm. how how long ago was that compared to the actual fight night come Saturday? Is it about 10 days, something like that? Yeah, yeah, it was about 10 days. Even though I make my own decisions, I always talk to my team, and uh, everybody was uh, thought I should, you know, go for it, and it was a go, and, you know, they know that I've been training, and, you know, you know, keeping on, uh, keeping my shape and stuff like that. So, you know, we were ready, you know, everybody agreed. And I, uh, seen, looked up, uh, Yusinov and, you know, uh, seen that he has a lot of experience. He's a big guy. I feel like they're trying to make me the David of all, all these Goliaths now. So, um, yeah, once, once I, you know, I seen, uh, his energy and, you know, I measured him out and, you know, we made our decision as a team. You know, I, I told him I, I wanted to go with it. And the fight, like I say, happens on Saturday in Monte Carlo. Um, what should fans expect to see from you come Saturday, Mike? Is it more of the same, what we saw against Bacoli, or is it a completely different version of you? Um, I'm pretty sure you're going to see a, you know, every every fighter is, is different. So every fight is, is, is going to be different. I don't really try to approach the same... Um, same way because everybody has a little different style, different height, you know, different, um, you know, reach and uh, way they go about things. Yeah, I think it's going to definitely be a, di- a different type of uh, fight. I, w- I would predict a knockout. And, uh, you know, I-, I don't know what round, but, you know, I'm, uh, people see me as, you know, a nice, uh, nice guy with a nice smile. But um, they're going to soon see that I have a mean streak in me. And, uh yeah, so um, I'm not sure exactly what, what the game plan is, how I'm going to approach it, but I know I'm going to probably do a lot more boxing. Um, I, I, I watched the Bacoli fight, I guess, for the uh, yeah for the first time uh, well, yesterday. I never really watched the whole fight. You know, obviously I was in it, but uh, when I watched the fight, I, I noticed that I was – I never really took a step back unless, you know, he came very, like, forward. I was basically foot-to-foot with him basically the uh, most of the fight, uh, and especially in the earlier rounds when I could have uh, made the fight a lot easier, probably got the job done a lot easier and still got the stoppage. So I'm going to um, try to implement that a little more, combinations, lateral movement, and, and you know, things like that. 
And Mike, what do you know about Ustinov? Because obviously, you know, you haven't had that much time. You haven't really had ideal preparation for this whatsoever. Um, have you had much time to kind of check him out? And like I say, how difficult is it to come up with a game plan with just a few days, really, to prepare for it? Um, you know, I'm very adaptable, man. Uh, like Bruce Lee, they say I'm like water, you know. So I, I just try to adapt to... Uh, you know, I see I see his attributes, you know, what he's good at, what he's not good at, and we're going to stay away from the things that he's good at and attack the, attack the things that he's, he's not good at, you know. So, you know, um, you know, however the fight turns out, uh, you know, you'll see me implementing those type of things. But I, I know, yes, I have not got an ideal uh, training camp, but, um, you know, this is boxing. Nothing really goes as ideal. The moment you uh, get in the ring and the bell rings and you throw that first punch, something right then and there is probably going to go not as planned. <laughs> and I want to get your reaction to uh, to Tony Bellew and Alexander Usyk the other week. Did you happen to watch it at all? I, I did. No, I did not watch the fight, but I did see the, uh, the little knockout clip. Um, uh, I don't know if we talked about it before, but I, I kind of predicted that Usyk would win by unanimous decision. I did not think he was going to get the knockout, I thought. Uh, but I did say that uh, Tony Bellew was, you know, he was talking about retirement and stuff like that, which is, to me, is not a good sign. It's never a good sign for winning a fight of that stature. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, that's more of a, like a payday thing and, you know, your last hurrah and stuff like that, which, you know, I mean, uh, they made the fight. Uh, so anybody, any man could have won, but, you know, when you're talking about odds and, you know, energy and stuff like that, you could still very hungry and you know he's fired up and stuff like that and you know to hear uh, a fighter talk like Bellew was um, even though he he had a difference he, he talked a little different um, during the fight uh, coming you know um, previous you know like in the uh, press conference and stuff he you know he was very you know he's a very he's a game guy so uh, I, I didn't think he would just I mean if he was going to go out he's going to go out on the shield but um yeah, I kind of was. It was kind of expected. I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I think many people agree. Um, and coming down to the final proper question now for you, uh, Mike. Two men that you know very well clash next weekend. Wilder vs. Fury. Talk to me, baby. <laughs> Man, I, I love that fight. Um, it's going to be hard for Tyson. Tyson has a lot of uh, little hurdles that he's going to have to cross over as far as. His mental state, you know, he's saying he's the best, uh, he's in the best place mentally that he's ever been and, and physically. Um, but, you know, also Tyson's a big talker and, um, you know, he's a very confident person. But uh, confidence uh, doesn't justify clarity. You know, when you see something, you see something. When you're confident, you, you've seen all you can see and then you're going off of what you hope. So I'm not, I'm not really sure that uh, Tyson. I mean, he's a better boxer, a better skilled fighter. He, I mean, he's had enough time to take prepare for the fight. You know, it's just like when you're, when you're not in those type of uh, that great shape, you know, it's harder to take punches. There's a lot of tangibles that, that come with uh, fights like that. And, um, but I, I mean, I, I could see uh, Tyson winning a decision. And um, I also can see him getting knocked out. So I'm not sure exactly what to put my money on. But I know it's going to be a great fight, and uh, I probably wouldn't put my money on it. 
Um, you know, Tyson has done some some major things in his career. He's um, a lot of success. Uh, you know, they still consider him the lineal champ. But uh, you know, Deontay is uh, you know a stable mate, Olympic stable mate of mine. You know, he's a very strong person. He's always been strong, lanky, and um, he's hard to fight when somebody's uh, so lanky and awkward and wiry like that. And, uh, you know, he's game, too. You know, he has a lot of heart, you know, so it's not going to just – if he knocks a, Tyson knocks him down one time, I don't think it's going to be just the uh, – you know, he's going to get up. You know, he has a lot of heart and a lot of will. So it's going to be a battle, and I'm excited to see it. Hopefully I'll be there. We all are excited to see it. And finally, Mike, just before I let you go, any closing words that you want to say to anybody at all, the listeners that are listening, what's your message? I just want to say tune in to the zone on Saturday. Uh, watch me do my thing and perform uh, to the best of my abilities and, and, you know, work my magic. And uh, please continue to follow me. Instagram, Michael Bounty Hunter. Um, you know, follow my career. And uh, I appreciate everybody and every all the fans. Um, and all the haters <laughs> and like I say The Zone in the States and Sky Sports in the UK now listen Mike you know this already I wish you the absolute best the very best for Saturday night thank you for your time and we'll certainly catch up sometime after this win thank you thank you yes please uh, I hope we you know right after we can get one in and you know I can give you a breakdown of how I felt right after the fight and maybe we can do one a little like you know a week or two later or something like that I can give you another perspective of it uh, from the outside looking in and um, you know it'll all be fun and games okay and this wraps up episode 162 of the Box Hard Podcast I've been your host Joey Coastman I as summer has been I as summer I'd like to thank our two guests for taking part in this week's show the former flyweight world title challenger and soon to be flyweight champion of the world Mr. Charlie Edwards and the top heavyweight contender himself Mr. Michael the Bounty Hunter both guys are two of my closest friends in boxing so it's always great catching up with those the prediction league currently stands at you the listeners and I as both tied on 70 points, but due to my recent luck from nowhere, I'm in the lead on 73 points. Go me, go me. I'm absolutely loving it. I'd like to apologize for the poor sound quality during the first two minutes of the Charlie Edwards interview. We had a slight recording issue there, so I apologize for that. But that's about everything. Thank you all for listening to this week's show. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we shall see you all again next week.